0: Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. Before I forget, let's give Christian a round of applause for doing our show. Um, if it's your first time here, he usually leads alongside the lovely Christina Floria, who at the moment is down at a wedding in Miami, which starts at 2 p.m. I'm doing that wedding, so right after this, is i got to get in the car and trudge through the water and get down there, so pray for me. It's going to be nice. Um, I can't believe how many people are here right now. Honestly, this rain was insane. If they didn't pay me to be here, I'm not sure I would have come. So you guys get brownie <laughs> points for showing up. I mean, we were guessing, like, what are we going to get, about four or five people today? So this is incredible. I appreciate you guys are being here. It's nice to talk to people. This is great. So if it is your first time, just letting you know, we are in, let me just kind of fix this a little bit. We are in this series called The Power of Thought. And we're just having a conversation about... This idea that our thoughts can have a tremendous impact in our life, both positively and negatively. And so what we're trying to do is take a look at what Jesus said, take a look at what the Bible said, and how do we learn how to harness our thoughts for good, so to speak. So in week one, we talked about anxiety. And if you heard this message, and as I mentioned last week, I believe that this is one of the finest messages we have ever done here at this church. Um, I can say that because I didn't give it. I'm not bragging. Adam gave this one, and he did a masterful job. And so if you're somebody who suffers with anxiety, even if you're just somebody who just gets a little nervous or some worries, go to our website, listen to this. It's on iTunes. You can find it. Listen to it. Share it. Put it on Facebook. I just feel like this is a special message that needs to get out there. I just feel like the Lord has a lot of tools in this message that people need to hear. Last week, we talked about decision-making, specifically the idea that God wants you to know what he wants you to do. So many of us with major life decisions, we just, you know, all we want is to make sure that when we make that decision, that we and God are on the same page. And we talked about this idea that you can actually know what God wants for your life, that you can reach out to friends for counsel, and you can study the scriptures, and you can pray, and he will make it very clear what he wants you to do. And you can have confidence in those decisions. And so if you were paying attention at the end of last week's message, you heard me say that we're going to be talking about life change. And the reason I say if you were paying attention, because let's be honest, very few people are paying attention at the end of church. I get it. I've been in the chairs. So here's what you don't know about DHC. Christina, Adam, and I, we sit around quarterly, and we do long-range planning. And we talk about what, do we wanna, what journey do we want to bring you guys on? For the rest of the year, what do we want to discuss? What issues do we need to talk about? What issues are going on in your life? What, what things would you like to hear? And so we felt like life change would be a great topic to talk about. But the reality is that as I sat down this week to study this and begin researching it, it became clear to me that we have, in a sense, kind of covered this in the last two weeks. And I wasn't sure if it was worth doing an entire message on it. Rather than just scrapping it entirely and talking about what we are going to talk about, I want to give you just 90 seconds to two minutes reader's digest of a sermon that would have been, just enough to kind of give you a little bit of a seed to work with in this area. So when we talk about life change, we're talking about events that have either taken place or are going to perhaps take place. These, these what-ifs and maybes that loom out there in the darkness, this idea that, well, what if I lose my job? Or, or, or what, if, what if I get divorced? Or, or what if I get sick? These things that we're just not sure if we're going to be able to handle it when that major life change happens. You see, what happens is that when we look at the future, we tend to view it in a vacuum. A vacuum is devoid of anything. And so when we're thinking about these major life events, we kind of picture ourselves being all alone. And you may not think this way, but I just believe subconsciously we do. We get nervous. We feel like, I just whatever this is going to be, I I can't handle it. The bottom line graphic we were going to put up was that the future is scary because we just don't imagine Jesus being there with us. And you may say well no i know that jesus is never going to leave me but i feel like deep down when we we think about these things that loom out there we truly do forget that he's going to be there bible tells us that he's actually there right now and he'll meet us when we get there and we can have confidence in that and so when we talk about life change we would have hit on anxiety because the reality is that we're nervous we're anxious We're worrying about what may happen or how I'm going to cope. And so we've given you the tools to deal with that when it occurs. Second of all, many of these life changes come from decisions. Did I take the new job? Am I going to get married? Am I going to move? And if you've sought God's will in this and you feel as though he has said, yes, this is where I want you to go, then you should have a peace in your spirit when these life changes occur. So I sat around and I said, okay, what are we going to talk about? And I began praying about issues that are going on in my life related to you know, thinking and what's going on in this church and in this city and this state. And it became very clear to me we need to talk about the dangers of comparison. This idea that we're not really asking the question, how am I doing? We're really asking the question, how am I doing compared to everybody else? How am I doing? When I look around, when I look at my friends, and I look at my family, and I look at my coworkers, how am I doing? Because in life, we look to the left, and we look to the right to see if we're okay. We kind of ask ourselves, am I okay? I'm okay. Am I okay? I'm not okay. You've all been there. We're all guilty of this. And the reality is that when you begin looking around, when you start looking side to side, when you start comparing, what we begin to do is we begin to want more-er. Here's what I mean by more-er. We want to be richer and skinnier and smarter and taller. And it goes on. We want to be prettier and happier and trendier and more talented-er. <laughs> At the end of the day, we just, we just want to be able to say, I want more-er than you. I want more-er than you. I want to leave a dinner and go, that guy's smart. I'm smarter. That guy's strong, I'm stronger. That woman's pretty, but I'm prettier. No, I don't think that I'm prettier, although I've been, you know, people have said that. I find that offensive. Anyway, (laughs) but this goes, (laughs) and this goes into all aspects of our life. It goes into dating. We start looking at our girlfriends and our boyfriends, and we start applying the urge to them. We start saying, well, I want them to be skinnier. I want them to be richer. I want them to be this, that, and the other thing. And then we get married. And then we kind of drop the er, and we start lying to ourselves a little bit. We start saying things like, well, I just wish my husband would reach his full potential. Mm -hmm. That's just more er. You just want more er. And then you have kids. I don't have kids, but I've got the internet, and I know this is a nightmare. Not the kids, they're fine, but like the comparison game that comes along with it. And it's really getting crazy, because I see parents start looking around, and they go, Oh, your kid's walking already? Oh, you're not breastfeeding still? Oh, your kid got into what college? And it's just, it gets out of control. And what happens is we're not really comparing the kids. We're comparing ourselves to other parents. And you know this, and you probably won't admit it, but when that kid who does so well in school finally messes up and you go, oh, that's a shame. Yes. Right? We feel bad about it. You're sick. You know it. You're sick. You do it. I do it. But then, you, then here's the other side of the spectrum, right? Then you look to, let's call it the left, and you start saying things like, well, this person's heavier. Oh, this person's poorer. Oh, this person's nerdier. Their clothes, they're not as designer-er. And if you're not careful, you start to feel superior-er. It's true. We've all found ourselves there. And the reality is that, guys, it's just, I can only describe it like this. It's gross. It's gross. We're all guilty of it at some level. None of us like doing it. We can't seem to stop ourselves, and we just feel gross afterwards. But then there's a group that er is just not enough. They want to be est. They want to be richest, and happiest, and prettiest, and because it's South Florida, fast car est and big boat est, right? People always get their nice boat, and then they go on their buddies that's five feet long, and they go, gosh, my boat feels like a dinghy all of a sudden, okay? This is what happens. And whether you're in the errors, and whether you're one of the S's, or maybe you just have a little bit in your life, at the end of the day, we're all asking this question, am I okay? Am I okay? Is my house good enough? Is my neighborhood good enough? Are my clothes good enough? Is my watch good enough? Have I sent my kids to a good enough school? Am I okay? Then there's another group that when they look around, And they start looking at the ers and they start looking at the ests and they look at themselves in the mirror and they say you will never be as blank as them i'll never be as cool as they are i'll never be as rich as they are i'll never be able to send my kids to as good a school as they are you just aren't happy with who you are before i put this next thing up on the screen this next concept, if we could just, and it'll be the driving concept for the rest of the day, if we could just understand this concept, which is biblical, by the way, if we could begin to understand this concept and apply it to our lives whenever we catch ourselves looking to the left and looking to the right and chasing after the ers and wanting to be the ests, I just believe everything would be different. It's understanding that there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. There's no finish line. There's no end in sight. There's never any sense of satisfaction. There is no win in comparison. So where do you turn, right? If you can't turn to your left and and turn to your right, where do you turn to sort of figure out how you're doing? So I thought today would be funny if we actually take a look at a guy who is what I'll call the king of Ests, King Solomon. Um, If you were here during the big story we talked about, King Solomon. King Solomon is said to be the wisest man that ever lived. And if you're just somebody who does chase after the r's and the s, let me just clue you in on something. Solomon is richer than you are. He is smarter than you are. He's got more wives than you have. His houses are bigger than yours. Whatever you got, he's got more. So he's a great guy for us to take a look at today. So let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't think we've ever been in this book before. It's a real book. Ecclesiastes 4.4. Solomon wrote it. And here's what he said. He said, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. He's saying, I'm a student of observation. I've looked around and here's what I see. I see that everybody, whatever they're doing, they are driven by competition. What school do you go to? What clothes are you wearing? What kind of car are you driving? Everything we do, whether we realize it or not, we are driven By competition. What he's saying is that he saw people determining where they were based on where everybody else was. It's the looking side to side. It's the asking the question, am I okay? I'm okay. Are my kids okay? My kids are not okay. And this was 3,000 years ago, folks. 3,000 years ago. This is like when dinosaurs were on the earth. That is not true. We don't believe that at this church. But this is a long time ago, okay? You would throw us out if they heard me say that, okay? But this is a long time ago. Human nature has not changed at all. Here's how he summarizes the there's no winning comparison. He says, this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the win. Think about chasing after the win. You, you can't grab it. You can try. It's never going to happen. You're just going to keep trying and failing and failing. You're never going to win So when you read something like this and you hear him say this, maybe you're asking the question, so Solomon, are you saying we shouldn't do our best? Are you saying we shouldn't try? Are you saying we should just kind of, you know, fold our hands and sit back and say la vie, whatever happens, happens. Is that what you're saying? No. He actually says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. He's Solomon. He goes, I'm a Solomon. I'm a wealthy guy. I got a lot of wives. I got big temples. I'm smart. I got a lot going on. I would never tell you that you shouldn't work hard. I would never tell you that you shouldn't, you know, do all the potential that God has put in your life. But what I am telling you is that you need to be very careful about what's driving you in this life. So he gives us some excellent advice. And I think it's important that if you're a person who memorizes Scripture, as a lot of people do, even if you don't, this is just a good one for you guys to start on. In Ecclesiastes 4.6, he says this. Better one handful with tranquility. Than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let me explain to you what's kind of going on here. Because a lot gets lost in the English translation. But if you go back and you read the Hebrew, he paints a really interesting word picture. So what he's saying is this. He's saying it is better to have one hand open, palms facing up. So the implication is that so God can put into it or take out of it whatever he wants. He's saying it's better to have one hand open and be content with what one hand can hold then have two fists clenched looking side to side and always trying to going after that third handful and never getting it he goes if you live this two-fisted mindset if you live a life where you're always looking to your left and always looking to your right and always trying to get more you will miss out on what you have you will miss out on what you have when you're always grasping for more it's true it's true you will miss how beautiful your wife is. You will miss how smart your kids are, and you will miss how blessed you truly have it when you live with two fists clenched, holding on to everything you can get, rather than one hand open and being content with what one hand can hold. He goes on and he says, again, I saw something meaningless. I love that. It's kind of like Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. Let's talk about something meaningless, he says. There was a man all alone. So here's the deal. I don't know if this is a parable, which means a parable is a fictional story made up to tell the truth. I don't know if Solomon actually knows this guy or if this is a category of people. I tend to believe it's probably a category of people. He says, there was a man all alone and he had neither son nor brother. So this neither son nor brother is a phrase. What he's telling us is that 3,000 years ago, women could not inherit things. So if you had a wife, or if you had daughters and you died, you could not pass on your inheritance to them. So Solomon is saying, when this guy dies, that's it. It's all gone. So with that knowledge, he says, and yet there was no end in sight. Let's get this up for these guys. And yet there was no end in sight to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. You may know people like this. It's just work, 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 work two hands grasping, looking left and right, never happy with what they have, and yet they're constantly pushing, they're constantly going over more, constantly going after more, and they're just never happy. And one day this guy just, he asks himself this simple and yet profound question. He goes, for whom am I toiling? What am I working for? And why am I depriving myself of this enjoyment? What am I doing with my life that I'm just constantly going after more? I never allow myself to enjoy what I have. I don't want to be like this. What is driving me? What is driving me to be like this? Solomon says, well, I've been telling you all along. It's human nature, unless you say no to it, it is human nature to take your cue from the person to your left and the person to your right. This too is meaningless, he says. It's a miserable business. He goes, if you get involved in looking to the left and looking to the right, you, my friend, are in the business of misery. You're going to miss out, and you will never be able to enjoy your life. Not just life in general. You will not be able to enjoy your life. The life you're working for, the life you've been blessed with, you will miss out on it all. Bottom line is there's just no win in comparison there's just no win. A couple of things happen when you get involved in what I'll call the comparison game. Number one, comparing never leads to joy. It never leads to joy because the reality is this. In life, there's always going to be somebody stronger, richer, better looking. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay because you are exactly who God made you to be. You don't need to chase after the earths. Comparing makes you the victim. You may not realize this, but what happens when you begin to look to the left and you begin to look to the right, you start saying things like, Well, why did that guy get the promotion and I didn't? Well, I got the raw end of the deal on this, or or, must be nice, or Oh, woe is me, and I just don't like my life anymore. It makes you the victim and it starts to put you on a path where you begin to live life irresponsibly. Lastly, as Solomon pointed out, comparing simply robs you of life. It's the miserable business he talked about. It sucks the joy out of everything you do. It sucks the joy out of life. It will make you miserable, and you will never be happy. Because er and est aren't the answers to happiness. They're not. You guys have probably figured that out by now. And you can have everything in the world and still have nothing. I've met people that are absolutely gorgeous. And they're just empty inside. And I've met people who are wealthy beyond your imagination. And they say to me, John, I would trade it all for peace. Jim Carrey, who's an actor known for his comedy, not necessarily his wisdom, said something a while back that I thought, was actually really wise and pertinent for today's discussion. He said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. For our context, I wish we could all get all the ers and be all the ests and realize that when you get it all, it's still never going to be enough. It's just not. we got to get the ers and the ests out of our system. So what's the Practical. Uh, if it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word up on the screen, because we want to make sure that you guys can leave on Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So the practical for this week is pretty simple, yet it's hard, and it's trust God. Trust God that he has placed you exactly where he wants you, and that he has made you exactly the way that he wants you to be. And that following after him really is the answer to everything you're looking for. Because when you look to the left and you look to the right, there's always that little bit of emptiness we're trying to fill. And not to get too churchy, but the answer's God. And the answer's following after him. How do I know this? Well, he tells us in what is one of the most famous psalms, and one of the most famous verses ever written. And if you're a church person, you know this. If you've never been to a church in your life, I guarantee you've probably heard this at some point. It's Psalm 23. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back. Let's talk a little bit. Go back, go back, go back. Go to the grass is greener kind of a thing. Here we go. As I like this one. You've heard the grass is greener. The grass is greener on the other side always means that what someone else has always looks better. And there's this concept that it's not true that what you have is everything you need. And I I do believe in life that there actually is a way to be more satisfied. I do think there's an upgrade in satisfaction, but it doesn't come from a bigger boat, and it doesn't come from looking to the left. You need to look to God. If you truly want to feel contentment in this life, you need to look to God, and that is in Psalm 23. Let me read this for you and kind of point out some things that perhaps you may have not seen before. He says this, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. Everything I need, he's going to put in this one hand. And he'll take it out if I don't need it. But I lack nothing with the Lord. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. That green grass on the other side that I was just referencing, he makes me lie down in it. He'll show it to me. He'll bring me there. And he leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. What's interesting is that it's not the green pastures that we're chasing after that refreshes my soul, and it's not the quiet waters. It's God that refreshes my soul. And he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. You seek after his will, like we talked about last week. You can have the confidence to know that you are on the right path. And what's so interesting is that what you're going to learn is that it's not about the guy to your left or the girl to your right, and it's not even about you, that everything is about God. And that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's saying, look in life, this palm might get a little lighter sometimes. Things might get a little darker for you. You may feel at times that you are losing the race compared to everyone around you. But you have to understand that God is with you. He's never going to leave you. And you are exactly where you need to be at this moment in time. So if you hear nothing, hear this. Don't waste your own life wishing for someone else's. We're all guilty at at some level, but don't waste your own life, this precious life that God has given you, and all the things in your life, don't waste them looking around, looking to the left, and looking to the right. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. I just thank you that everyone got out of their house today, even though it was raining, Lord, because I just believe this is such an important topic for us to talk about. Some of us deal with this in a major way. Some of us maybe just in a little bit, Lord, but it is just so pertinent to all of our lives, and it's been happening for 3,000 years. God, if there's someone here today who is suffering... From lack of humility, from someone who's chasing after the ests and, and chasing after the urge and looking after that emptiness, Lord, I pray, Lord, that today this will be a turning point in their life. And if there's anyone here who's suffering with self esteem issues, feeling like they'll never be good enough, Lord, I pray that they will know that they are loved, that they are exactly who God wants them to be. I pray that you would bless us all. Be with us today. We place all of this in your Son, Jesus' precious name. Not